the living hope of Jesus to a world that desperately needs him, that, um, that, that we're looking at discipleship, that the third element of discipleship is mission. And that this year we're really going to be focusing on being fishers of men. That this is what God has called us to be as a distinctive Jesus community. And today we're really going to be looking at the area of being entrusted. What does it mean to be entrusted with the gospel? Now the idea, the idea of, of entrusting something to someone is kind of, um, is kind of scary. I still remember my seminary professor saying that trust that, that, that like he said like giving away your daughter in marriage is like handing over a Stradivarius to a gorilla and I was thinking about that and saying wow you know it's like giving something that is so treasured that's so important to someone that um, might be a little rough might be a little unreliable who's not altogether perfect whom you as a parent are pretty sure you can do a better job in taking care of your prized possession than giving it over to this person. And yet when I think of this, I think about the idea that God has entrusted to us, you and me, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you think about this act that God has done. This is the one message of salvation, the only message of salvation, the only way to God. God gave up his son to die on the cross for this gospel. That's how important, how precious it is to him. And now he's taking this gospel and he's placing it in our hands and he's saying, go with my blessing. And sometimes we wonder, why God, why would you do such a thing? But he has, and he does, and he will continue to do so. And he has proven that despite our own questionable reliability, God's method has worked pretty well all this time. Since the generation, the first generation of Christians, the early church, through the Middle Ages, through the Enlightenment, through the Industrial Age, and now to the Informational Age, the ministry of the gospel has always, always, always been carried out by God's people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And here now in 2019, 2020 coming up here in San Jose, California. It's our turn, Living Hope's turn, to play our part in this grand movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of the kingdom of Jesus Christ here on earth. And so for Living Hope, whatever may come and whatever may go, may God find us faithful. That's what this means. I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. A reverence for God's word. Let's stand together. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We, you may be seated. So from, from this passage, we're going to look at what it means to be approved by God 
and entrusted with the gospel. This statement actually refers to who we are and what we do. It talks about the deep theological issues of identity in Christ as well as the practical tasks that bear upon our lives in regards to the gospel ministry itself. And there are three things we want to see as we look at this passage. Number one, we're going to look at what it means to be approved by God. Secondly, we're going to look at what it means to be entrusted with the gospel and what what that means to us. And then third, we're going to look at what does it mean to be faithful to that trust. So the first thing we look at is what does it mean to be approved by God? In verse 4 it says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, God, now, Paul is actually writing um, about himself, and he's talking about when they first brought the gospel into the city of Thessalonica, that they were approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. Now, some say that the reason Paul is writing this is because he was, at this time, being attacked and discredited by the Jews in Thessalonica who were hostile to the gospel. But I also believe that Paul was not just writing this to fortify his own reputation, but rather he was also, uh, his purpose was to encourage the Thessalonians to follow Follow this example as they live in a hostile environment. So again, we ask the question, what does it mean to be approved by God? Now, the word approved is the word dokmas, which means tested and found genuine. So when a company, like, let's say, for example, when a company produces a new car, they always advertise, you know, the rigorous safety testing that's gone through the, you know, the product before it's, it's gone to the market. And I want to show a clip that kind of illustrates, um, illustrates this uh, idea. So let's go ahead and let's run the clip. Okay, so the motto is, it's built, uh, unlike, built unlike any other. Now, this motto of Mercedes, what they're trying to emphasize, of course, is the safety standards of their G-Class line. It's tested and approved. See, when Paul says that we, that he, that we are approved by God, it means that we've been tested and approved as ministers of the gospel. And this is important because in verse 1, he says, For you yourselves know, brother, that our coming was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God in declaring to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now he says, you know that our coming to you was not in vain. And then, you know, why would Paul say that? It's because from a worldly standpoint, the world and, and, and the people that were opposed to the gospel were probably saying to Paul, Paul, hey, give it up. You're a failure. 
You came to this city and we drove you out. You went to the next city in Berea and we drove you out there too. What are you really trying to accomplish? And you haven't really done anything since you've been here. What did you leave? Just a small group of followers, a, a church, and we're going to drive them out too. But Paul is clearly saying to the, the Thessalonians who are there, he's saying, Our coming to you was not in vain that God's work was accomplished, that God did exactly what he wanted to do in Thessalonica. It was the, the suffering and the shame and, and, and the, 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 the conflict, yet, yet they declared the gospel boldly and the gospel took root in this small community of Thessalonians. And because of that, the, the trip was not in vain. And Paul is saying to the Thessalonians as well, believers, you are approved by God, that your belief, your endurance through great persecution and great suffering is not in vain. Even though the entire city is against you, even though it's so hard to meet together, to worship together, every time you worship together, every time you walk with Jesus Christ each day in this city that is so hostile against Jesus Christ, you are showing that you are tested and approved by God. You know, if you go back to the Mercedes commercial, this car being tested and approved, you know, they, they drive the car into a wall and basically they they see if the damage level uh, is acceptable, you know, meets kind of the safety levels that's acceptable for a car when they drive it straight into a wall. Now, this commercial, though, it's not true, and it actually writes down and thing. it's a dramatization, it's not true. So don't drive, if you have a Mercedes G-Class, do not drive it into a cinder block wall. Um, you can see some teenagers wanting to try that after seeing the commercial. But at any rate, the car not only meets the standards, it exceeds the standards. It drives through the wall. It crushes the wall. And see, that's what it means to be approved by God, to be tested and approved. He's saying as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're going to be tested by the world. We're going to be tested by the enemy to see if our faith and the work of God in our lives is genuine. And the resistance to the gospel, especially in the time of the Thessalonians, is so great. It's like every day for them trying to drive their wall, drive their car into a cement wall. But, but Paul's saying as a result of being approved, you will not only pass the test, you will exceed the test. You will drive straight through that wall. You will break down that wall. You'll destroy that wall. Why? Because the power of the Spirit of God is dwelling in you. Because you are approved by God. If resistance to the gospel is like a cinder block wall, then we are like Mercedes G-class Christians. We are built unlike any other. The Spirit of God will break through and overcome any resistance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The salvation of God, the message of the gospel will continue to thrive even in Thessalonica, even in the places of greatest resistance, of greatest suffering, of greatest conflict and persecution. Why? Because we are tested and approved by God. Paul does not say we prove ourselves to God. He says we are approved by God. This is who we are as bearers of the good news, that we are entrusted with the gospel and we think, why would God give us timid, uh, mistake-prone human beings 
this, this great responsibility of the only way to salvation it doesn't seem like a good idea from a human standpoint. And even in the world, the world will look at it and say, you know, it's just not, I even read on my, uh, on the Reddit, it says Christianity is going to disappear soon. And I'm like, no, because God says you and I are proved by God. Christianity will never disappear. We've been tested. We've been found more than sufficient for the task ahead of us. It doesn't matter the fact that we are weak, that we are mistake prone, that we are fail, that we fail, that Sometimes we're proud that we're sinful, yet God in his power, in his de declaration, says we are approved and sufficient for this task. No matter what country we are in, no matter what the resistance, no matter how ungodly, of the, how dark of the places in which we live, we will, we, we will overcome because of the power of God. That's what it means to be approved by God. The next question is what does it mean to be entrusted with the gospel? Again in verse four it says, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. So what does it mean to be entrusted with the gospel? I mean, this is a very powerful and deliberate phrase. Uh, normally when we think of um, entrusting somebody, you entrust something to somebody, uh, it involves a certain amount of faith. It means that you uh, have invested a certain measure of faith in someone else, that I've given you something and I not only believe you can do this and carry this through, but I believe that you will do this and you will carry it through. I'm asking you to do something very important and I've invested this measure of faith in you. Now there's many pictures in the Bible, particularly in the parables of Jesus, that, um, that talk about this idea of a master entrusting certain things to his servants. I mean, it's, it's that same, you know, the, 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 the parable of the talents. He goes away, comes back, calls them into account, and then judges them according to how faithful they have been, how well they have fulfilled the task that was entrusted to them while the master was away. See, this is a picture of what it means to be entrusted with the gospel. The word entrust literally, pistis, means, means faith. And so when God, um, he, he has placed this precious gospel in our hands to bring to the world, the question is, am I being faithful to carry out the task with which I've been entrusted. Now, there's a lot of discussion, there's been a lot of discussion as to what it actually means to be faithful. Back in the church growth movement, which was popular in the 80s and 90s, we used to say, or one used to say, hey, you can be faithful, but if you're not seeing people come to Jesus Christ as Savior, are you really being faithful? And what they were doing was they were challenging this idea of faithfulness and saying faithfulness is not an excuse for not doing what you're supposed to be doing. See, the, the, the thing was is, is there were in, in the, the 80s and 90s there was a recognition or there was a, 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 an idea that there was a problem that a lot of churches were becoming complacent. And they were saying, well, uh, we're not actually reaching our, our world for Christ. We're not reaching our city for Christ. We're not reaching our communities for Christ. But we're faithful. 
We're being really faithful, so we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, and you know, God's going to say, everything's okay as long as you're faithful. Um, it's not my problem if people don't come to Christ as long as I'm faithful. But if you look at Jesus' parable, there actually was a result component to the parables. The manager didn't say to the servants, well done, good and faithful servants, at least you tried and that's what counts. No, he said, show me the money, right? So what does it mean to be faithful? It doesn't mean the popular version, well, everyone's a winner. There's actually a judgment seat of Christ and our works are actually tested by fire. And so Paul is speaking of something very specific when he talks about faithfulness. It may not be measured in how many people we lead to Christ or how many baptisms we have, but it is measured. And so if we're not reaching people with the gospel, we need to ask ourselves, is there really something that I need to address in my life right now? Is there something that I need to change about what I am doing that I can't just say, I'm being faithful, I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life, and I never reach people for Christ, but, you know, I'm faithful. No, there maybe God is saying to us, hey, there is something that we need to do, something we need to think about in our own spiritual life, to pray about, to make changes so that God can use us to reach people for the gospel. And I do want to end by looking at four things that this passage points to about what it means to be faithful. Again, not what it means to lead people to Jesus Christ, but what it means to be faithful. The first element of faithfulness is the desire to please men is superseded by the desire to please God. Meaning the desire to please God is so much greater that the desire to please men uh, submits to it. In verse four it says, but we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak not to please men but to please God who tests our hearts. Now, when we talk about pleasing men, I mean it's really hard if you're a person who uh, likes to please people. If you're a firstborn and you're like, I just wanna please, I'm a firstborn, I love to please people, I'm like, I want to please my mom and dad. I want my mom and dad to be proud of me. I want to do everything that they tell me to do because I want to please them. And maybe you're like that or maybe uh, whatever. But sometimes we say, oh, you know, the Bible's telling me I can't please people anymore. I got to stop pleasing people. But, you know, the thing is, is that we all have this need. Every one of us, to a certain extent, has a need to please others. It's kind of how we're built. Without it, we would be selfish and sensitive and hurtful. So, I mean, there's something innate about, you know, uh, and given by, it's given by God, but the problem is, is that sin takes these things and, 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 and takes this propensity towards kindness and twists it into a propensity towards self. That, that we please others now because we want something. We please others because we want to avoid personal suffering, and that's not faithful. Because the ministry of the gospel requires that we don't always get what we want. And the ministry of the gospel means that we cannot avoid personal suffering. And so Paul says faithfulness is about redeeming this, this desire to please, other by, please others by infusing it with an ultimate. And that ultimate is the desire to please God. 
that if we nurture an ultimate desire to please God alone, then our desire to please others will no longer have this corrupting power over us, that our desire to please others will now be God-driven and God-pleasing. It will be pure and without selfish gain. And that's why I feel like we don't have to change our personality if we're sensitive to other people. It's not like I have to be insensitive to people. But it's a matter of growing our desire to please God, to, to love God, so that he might reform and renew our selfish desires within us. Because why do we please others a lot of times? It's really to please ourselves. It's not really to please others. We're pleasing ourselves. So if you really feel like this is an issue in your life, that this is standing in the way of being a faithful minister of God, then we need to make a commitment this year. We need to say, you know, this, if I'm pleasing others above pleasing God, then I'm not being faithful. I'm not being faithful with what God has entrusted to me. And we would say, hey, I need to do specific things, not to no longer please people, but really to deepen my desire to please God, to, to deepen my passion for the heart of God, for the heart, for his heart, for the lost. And that may be this year that, that we need to say, I'm going to study God's word and really let God's word capture my heart and, and, and mold my heart. Uh, I want to uh, take steps of, of faith and see God at work and see that God is more powerful than my fear of peace. People. Another thing, one of the things that I feel really deepens my desire for God is prayer. When we pray together with others, when you pray with people who really desire God, it changes you. I mean, it really uh, is contagious. When I get together with different groups of people to pray, and I go to prayer meetings outside, and I go to other churches' prayer meetings, and go to these uh, prayer conferences, and I sit with people who just pray like like their life depended on it and they love prayer boy it just it just moves in my heart the desire for god even more and more when you pray with a group of people who are all out for god who really love him with all their hearts it changes you and if you really want to grow in your desire for the Lord, I challenge you that if you have not attended powerhouse prayer or not come to Wednesday night prayer meetings, let that be the first place to start, to come and, and pray together and allow these prayers and, and the prayers of God's people as we gather together to, to build that desire, to, 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 to stoke the fire of the desire of God, that it may burn brighter than our desire to please people. The second element of faithfulness is the idea of surrendering our rights. In verse 6, he says, Paul says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. See, Paul says here, we as co-workers, uh, me and my co-workers in Thessalonica, we had the right as, apostle, as an apostle to make certain demands. Now, we don't know exactly what those demands are. He's not specific. It's probably the demand for monetary support because in verse 9, Paul goes on to say, when we stayed with you, we were worked and we paid for our own expenses we didn't take a cent from you and maybe people are were accusing him of having you know uh, uh, duplicious motives and so he's saying no we had these rights we had the, the the right to demand certain things but for the sake of the gospel 
we surrendered those demands. We surrendered those rights. And perhaps God is saying to you today, you know, there are certain rights that are getting in the way, certain idols, certain elements of self or comfort or, or things that I don't want to give up. And that's what's really standing in the way of sharing the gospel. And if I'm holding on to my rights, and that's preventing me from really sharing the gospel with others, then I'm not being faithful. And God is calling me to do something about it. Not to say, oh, well, yeah, it's, I'm always afraid. It's always inconvenient. It's, it, it, it's you know, I, I want this right to do things my way or what I think is the best way to do things. And maybe God's saying, no, you gotta, we gotta surrender this right. Surrender this right of comfort. Surrender this right of control. Surrender this right of, of being treated well. Because when we walk out and share the gospel, we're not treated very well. And we say, oh, I have a right to be respected and treated and honored because I'm a human being and I don't wanna go out and have people you know, treat me less because I'm a Christian. That's my right to be treated that way and it's not fair. And God may say, well, maybe that's a right that's standing in the way of being faithful. And maybe God is saying, it's time now this year to surrender our right, to put it at the altar, and to say the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than me being respected by everyone and treated the way that I think I deserve. That's the second thing. Third thing, is the compassion for the lost. In verse six, it says, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands of, of, as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves because you become so dear to us. Now he says, um, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now I want you to picture or imagine a picture. Actually, you don't have to imagine a picture of this. Here's a picture of it right here. Um, Look at this picture, think of a nursing mother and her baby. And I want you to mentally, right now, mentally list in your mind all the different elements of love and tenderness and sacrifice that comes to mind when you think of a mother and her child. Okay, a mother knows the cry of her child. She hears the cry, runs to her child right away, picks up her child, not roughly, gently, smiles, treasures her newborn. A mom's life, think of how a mom's life revolves around the child. How she will disrupt and change everything about her life so that she can do everything that she can for this child. Think of the sacrifices that a mother makes for her infant. How just a, a notice of a, 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 a change of degree in temperature, she's already calling the doctor and saying, is my child okay? Do I need to bring her into the doctor's office? And even with the sleepless nights and unending, unreasonable demands, day and night, day after day after day, a mother will still coddle her child with love, with a love that nothing in this world can match and nothing can compare. And Paul says, that's the type of love that we had for you 
as we were sharing the gospel with you, as we were helping you to grow in Jesus Christ. We said, what's next to, what is next to the love of Jesus in this world is the love of a mother for her newborn child, hands down. The gospel ministry, Paul says the gospel ministry must be characterized by this type of love. And you think about it and say, well, you know, the Thessalonians, um, in relation to Paul, they were not Paul's lifelong childhood friends, right? They were not people who had done so much for Paul that he's indebted to them with gratitude and that's why I love you so much and I'll do everything for you. No, these were simply people who embraced the gospel of Jesus with a whole heart. And Paul says, I love you and I acted among you with the love that a mother has for her infant child. And we may ask ourselves, well, God do I have the compassion and love for those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior in my workplace, at school, in my neighborhood? That neighbor that, 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 that doesn't cut their lawn and, 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 and their house looks like trash all the time and, and they stay up late at night and they have these parties and they're so insensitive because they're so loud, and especially on a Saturday night when I gotta go to church. And, 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 and do I love that neighbor? like a mother loves a child. When I go to work and my, my coworkers are just always complaining and I love them to death, but boy, I tell you, I can't be around them because all they talk about is drinking and, and sex and all sorts of stuff and, and I just can't. You say, well, can I love them like a mother loves a child? And we go to school and we see those people who are so full of themselves. They think, they're, they think they're the greatest thing in the world. And we're like, Psh, I can't stand the way they treat people. I can't stand the way they treat me. How can, they, how can they really think that way? Boy, I can't wait till something happens to them. And God says, can you love them like a mother loves her child? See, we need to ask God, you know, if, 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 if we... If we can't love those around us who, who don't know Jesus as Savior, then we're not being faithful with what God has entrusted to us. And God is calling us to say that we need to, to build a greater desire and compassion for those who are lost, for those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. And, and God, maybe God's saying, hey, we've been hanging around Christians too long and, and we gotta hang around non-Christians more. We gotta ask God, how can I grow in my compassion and care for those around me who need the gospel? And again, it can start here at church. Maybe we need to take that time to, to spend time getting to know some of the single moms who God has brought into our church or, or talk to Mark about uh, Foster the Bay so that he can introduce us and, and bring us to people that we don't normally rub shoulders with, that we need to ask questions. How can I do specific things to, to, to develop and nurture a heart of compassion for those around me, for the loss, that I won't have this jaded heart towards those that, that, that don't do the things that I do. And we need to ask God and pray. If that's the one thing, then we pray and we ask God and say, God, here are the things that I'm gonna do this year to build my compassion for the lost, 
to maintain a compassion for the lost, to make sure that my heart doesn't become hard because of the sin in this world. The fourth thing about faithfulness of the gospel, hard work, and this is the one that we don't like too much, but it's there, verse nine. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. And this, this basically says the ministry of the gospel is hard work. There's no, there's no easy way. Sometimes we say, well, you know, if I just can somehow be filled with the Spirit, then, then I could share the gospel and be easy. Or if I had the gift of evangelism, then it'd be easy. I'd be sharing the gospel with everybody and it would be so easy, but you can ask somebody who has the gift of evangelism if it's easy sharing the gospel. And you'll, they'll tell you that it's still a struggle. It's still hard. I remember I, when I was younger, I said, well, I'm not a natural evangelist. I mean, even now, I'd rather sit on a plane and watch a movie or read a book than talk to somebody next to me. But when I'm sitting on a plane, I know God calls me to share the gospel. And I know that the person sitting next to me might not like pastors, but God says, you got to try. You got to try and at least bring Jesus into the conversation. And you, they may be this super extrovert that's going to talk to you through the whole flight when you wanted to get some sleep or whatever. But you know, it's hard work. If we, share, if we want people to know Jesus Christ, if that's really important to us to be faithful with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's hard work. We may say, well, I wish I was this way and I wish I was that way, but I'm not. I'm not that outgoing person. I'm not that person that knows what to say in every situation, but that's no excuse for not sharing my faith. I just have to figure out a way. You can't say, well, I can't share my faith with anybody because I'm just a shy person. I just not, don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm too busy. Um, But if we don't share our faith, we're not being faithful. I mean, that, that, that's, that's what the scripture says. And we may say to God, it's hard. It's really hard, God. You don't understand. And God says, I know it's hard. I know you're having trouble. But what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do? Share, sharing the gospel. Are you going to be building relationships? Are you going to be getting that training that you need to get? Are you going to be living out that grace, that truth that's required, producing that fruit day in and day out, building new relationships, stepping out there, facing the rejection, and still speaking up? It's hard work. Are we willing to do the hard work of the gospel? Am I willing to make evangelism a priority in my life to do the work to fill the deficiencies that have been there for so long? Maybe it's been there for a long time and we say, I've been a Christian for 10 years and I can't think of the last person that I shared the gospel with and it's just so hard and we say, that's a deficiency in my life. Is it, well, what are we gonna do about that deficiency that's been there for so long? Because that's what God is asking. He's not just asking, he's commanding us to do. And we say, I don't know where to start. Well, again, living hope, we have a place to start. Mustard seed on a Saturday. And I know you may say, well, that's not the best way to share the gospel. Okay, well, it's a way to share the gospel. I don't care if it's the best way or whatever. It's a way to share the gospel. And if we commit to say, you know, this year I'm going to just go, I, I need to go at least once. I'm going to talk to, to Connie Louise and I'm just going to go. 
And, and you don't even have to say a word sometimes. You just go with them and watch them do it, watch them at work, and you'll be like, wow, this is cool. I think I can do this, maybe. Or you go, say, I'm going to go twice, and I think twice is best, because you go once, and you're like, kind of like, what do I do? And then after you see it, then you're like, oh, I think, and then you go a second time, and, and they let you get involved. They let you start to talk with somebody. And, you know, it's hard to do this, but, but to say, hey, if this really, really is a problem, like it's really always been a problem, stopping me from being faithful in this one area that God has, I know there's a lot of areas we're called to be faithful, but this one area where God has entrusted me with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm not doing anything about it because I'm making these excuses, I can't do that kind of, then we don't make excuses anymore. We say, God is calling us to be faithful. What am I going to do this year to do the hard work? Because it's never going to be easy. It's never going to be the right time. But there are people, there are many people in this world who are dying without Jesus Christ, many of them whom you will know and you love dearly. And God says there's only one way because I've entrusted the gospel of Jesus Christ to my people. And so the question right now is not, you know, am I going to go out and share the gospel with everybody? The question right now is what is stopping us what is that stumbling block? What is that, that one thing that, that's been so hard, that's been standing in the way of me being faithful in this area of the spiritual life? And what am I going, what is God calling me to do to address this stumbling block? Because he'll overcome it. He'll work on it. And it may not be, it may take the whole year to do it. But if we commit ourselves this year to do something about it rather than just stand back and say you know I can't do anything about it God says hey this is this is this this is the year this is what mission means and God says we are that built like <laughs> built like no other that when we face a wall and that wall may be those those stumbling blocks and those hindrances and God says I you're approved and if you try the Spirit of God will break through those walls and we will see the gospel of Jesus Christ go forward in ways that we never, we never thought would ever happen. Let's go ahead and let's spend some time in prayer. Let's spend some time in prayer. Really pray this time. We really, we, we always pray every week.